Hello, Fight fans, and welcome to the Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Matt, the store brand Keanu. Alongside me is my tag team partner, the Danimal. How's it going, Matty? Forbidden Door immediately followed by Blood and Guts. Danimal, two pay-per-views seemingly, or at least one pay- true pay-per-view in one elite episode. What are your thoughts currently in the state of AEW? Where are we at? You know, I, I think the biggest thing that came to mind for me has been the continued uh, evolution of the Blackpool Combat Club and your kind of longstanding belief that the WWE stable was going to come to town. And I think uh, Claudio struggled to say his last name, formerly known as Cesaro, uh, coming really kind of cements that because you can tell that they're ready to push, you know, him and that that faction to the moon. So that was that was a huge takeaway for me. Yeah, I, I had texted you. I, I was convinced that was going to be Zack Ryder um, just based on like, you know, he's been such an indie darling for so long. But um, yeah, I, I think you're dead on. I think that that is officially becoming the quote unquote WWE cast off one. And Cesaro, I, I'm so torn on this. Like I, I love him in action and I really am going to love seeing him in AEW where he's just so much bigger than everyone. Cause he was already such a powerhouse in the, in WWE. And now he can pick up, you know, you saw the clip of him picking up Sammy with one arm and just like manhandling him. It's I'm also so concerned though, because that the more they bring in those, those former WWE guys, like the, the saying is it's the land of giants and it's so much more apparent how much more massive and, and just like hulking these figures are compared to your average AEW superstar. Yeah, and I think it, it creates a really difficult thing because I think you now have these quote-unquote giants, except they're also super-duper skilled. Because in WWE, you kind of ran into the giants always kind of had the ceiling on them, whether it was Kali or, you know, now there's Omos and you always kind of were limited by these guys kind of having limitations. You know, they can only do their couple power moves, the, Oh my God, he's off his feet. And then that's kind of the, the gist of it. But with these guys now, it's like, you can't really blame them for pushing a Miro or a Claudio because these guys are going to be able to put on the five-star matches you want. But then on top of it, you have to factor in the, like, how's anyone supposed to beat these guys? Cause you know, it's, it's enough when you see like, a guy like Darby just against like a Kenny Omega or a Hangman Page, who, you know, by comparison to someone like Darby, but it's like, if you put Claudio and Darby in the same ring, I'm going to feel kind of like I did with Miro, where it's like, oh, come on, guys, like, really? So that's that's part of, I think, their, their issue is that it's not that the Giants have to be used as like the attractions they are in WWE. It's like, how do you not put that guy on every episode? It's a workhorse. He can do things barely anyone else can do. Yeah, I think I think it's becoming an interesting uh, problem that they're continuing to have. Yeah, I, I mean, that's been my concern. Like, I, I remember I voiced that with you recently with saying, like, you have Miro, you have Wardlow. You know, the more you develop these kind of powerhouses that are seemingly invincible, it becomes very, very difficult to book them because now you have kind of Luchasaurus is another one that's kind of working. And then you bring in Claudio. I I also wanted to say with Claudio, they tease this and I I have a feeling this is the direction they're going to go because they were really pushing it. But 
seemingly this seems like the stupidest storyline I've ever heard of in wrestling that him and Eddie Kingston are on the verge of a feud because Eddie didn't make Jericho tap out before Claudio forced the tap out to big head Matt Menard. So what are your thoughts on that potential feud stemming from this end results to blood and guts? I mean, I would say that the cause of the feud is big is the getting of the discrepancy between the individuals, because I also think you've got the ultimate dichotomy because you've got Eddie who on the mic really is just an absolute powerhouse. Like he can get on that mic and just, he makes you care and he's speaking with such fire and, you know, he's always weaving in and out of kind of their true life. And then in his in between the rope stuff, isn't the greatest, you know, he, he looks like a guy that came up through, you know, the, the, whatever, whatever they call him, you know, the high school gyms and all that shit. And then you put him with Claudio where it's going to be like on the mic, you know, he doesn't do that much. He's never been a huge talker, which is fine. But then when you look at him physically, I mean, the big thing they used to say in WWE was that like pound for pound, he was the strongest guy in that locker room. So when you're talking about, you know, the only other guy they used to bring that up with is Big E, who also has the look to him. But Claudio just looks so much more dynamic. So I, I think it's going to be fascinating because it's, you know, it's going to feel like in the promo, it's just like, oh, man, Kingston smoked him. But then in the ring, it's like I, I find it hard to believe the machine gun chops are going to do much to a uh, the Swiss Superman. So but no, I, I'm with you that it is the funniest like it's like almost Simpsons esque where it's just like, but I was supposed to get the win. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I have a feeling a bit of a monkey wrench got thrown into their booking too, with the uh, unfortunate injury to uh, Santana as well. That initially it was almost comical, but those are always the ones that are scary injury wise, where you know, non contact immediately upon entering the ring. So, uh, really unfortunate. It sounds like he's going to be out for quite a while. So, Hopefully they steer away from this one because I agree with you completely. The thought of Eddie Kingston actually squaring off with Claudio, who, mind you, the thing that's always been terrifying about him to me is that that guy's almost 50 and he's carved out of granite. So, I mean, we're catching him like well past his athletic prime and he's still doing the big swing to just about anybody on roster. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm happy he's an AEW. I think it is neat that Blackpool is evolving into that. Um, the addition of Wheeler Yuta was good. Like that was a, a figure that I wasn't big on earlier, but I think removing him from the best friends actually has really elevated him in my eyes. Um, you know, I, I wanted to get your take on Yuta because there's a part of me that kind of wonders, cause I, I'm with you a hundred percent that it, it was a great call for him, putting him with those guys. So my question is, does he kind of become just another member of the faction or could this build at some point to like, him becoming in some ways like an odd man out, which once again, if he were to feud with them, huge booking. So I think either way he's in a good spot. But I mean, what what would you like to see with him? Is he just kind of the ancillary guy that that way when you're throwing a tag team, especially now with uh, Mox holding the interim belt and everyone loving multi-man matches, I think you has got a good spot. But I mean, do you, could you see him maybe uh, working an angle with these guys down the line? I'm really glad you bring it up because actually I think it's a great segue kind of talking more about Forbidden Door because I think that's actually the future for Yuta and not just because he's he's Japanese descent, but I actually think he's a kind of guy that 
on the other side of the forbidden door, if they do start sending AEW superstars overseas to Japan, I could see him tear it up over there. And I think that's the actual future for him is I don't know how long he'll be in Blackpool totally for, because I agree with you. I think it's just kind of not, they're not going to call it the WWE cast off contingent, but, or, you know, call it flat out invasion like they did WCW back in the day. But I think that ultimately that's kind of the direction that's going to go. So he'll build his credibility with them, but really what put him over was doing all that work in the Indies still, despite being on AEW roster. And I could actually see him continuing that um, elsewhere um, while still making appearances from time to time. I don't know that he'll become a featured. I don't think he'll continue to ascend as a member of Blackpool. I just don't think it hurts to be able to come out with all those guys and then inevitably come back and feud with a few of them. A uh, particular guy like him and Daniel Bryan could have some fun matches in the, in the future. At least that's how I see it. Um, so furthermore, with Forbidden Door, though, I mean, there are a lot of matches with a lot of superstars. I'm going to be the first person to admit I don't follow New Japan Wrestling that well. Uh, the one that has stood out to me is I'm really, really glad to have seen Will Ospreay in action. You know, I spoke at length about how great he was and we also got to see him feud again with Orange Cassidy. What are your thoughts on the return of Orange Cassidy and his potential future now? You know, I, I continue to be really fascinated by him because he was the guy that kind of came in and I'll be the first to admit I did I didn't really know the gimmick, so then I kind of saw it and wasn't sure. But now the way that he kind of like splits the line that he'll do the like keeping the hands in the pocket and the little kicks, but then when he actually goes, he just go it continues to make me wonder because they booked him in a way that has a lot of confidence i mean he he's feuded with jericho obviously getting the osprey spot was big i think kind of continuing our unfortunate trend of saying breaking him away from the best friends somewhat seems to be a good thing for him like he's he's still loosely attached but he's not coming out the same you know wheeler's moved on chris statlander's moved on so you know, nothing against those guys. But yeah, I, I guess I continue to just feel like I'm intrigued to see how they keep using the mix of talent they have. Because it, it, it's that whole thing where it's like, I don't see him going after, you know, the, the main title. So what are you going to do with him to keep him keep him relevant? Because I think he once again, I think this match was booked intentionally as kind of a, a reminder. You know, coming out party is a little too strong because I think we all knew it was there. But a hey, this guy can really go and we're going to put him in that position. So I guess that's where I'm most intrigued is how are they going to take advantage of us all really being high on him again? I, I think that's perfectly said, especially in the sense that um, that's always been the knock on him is like for your casual fan and, and myself, I was one of them where you just associate him with being a, a joke wrestler. Like in a lot of ways, there's a lot of parallels to your Scotty Too Hottie of your where you show up you do the few gimmick moves that everyone wants to see you know in his case it's the hands in the pocket with the kip up and you know a few of the poses he'll throw in and you know he the difference it being though that he can absolutely go like you said pairing him with osprey is amazing because that's arguably a top five wrestler in the world right now and then when you look back at some of his highlight matches in AEW, and he's put on some absolute bangers so 
I I'm in complete agreement. I I just have never the best friends is such a weird faction to me because I like all of those guys individually. I just hate them all together. And I just I think it's just because there's nowhere to go with it. Like it doesn't match with pretty much everything else that's going on consistently in AEW. So um I I don't know which direction they'll go, but I, I have to ask before we move on from that. What are your thoughts on his new theme song? Because I've seen that be a point of contention online lately. You know, I, th- I think I'll mark myself with an Orange Cassidy-like indifference. Um, I-, I feel like I, you know, the other song he had, I think, you know, I-, I recognized and it had a quality to it. But at the same time, I think if you're going for this kind of repackage, refresh, it sounds like this was more his song back on the indies that i think it may be good if you're trying to kind of package him as a uh more of an individual talent who you know kind of i think almost he'd be best utilized in a hangman page dark order kind of way where it's like with all the factions and multi-man matches and shit it's good to have like a single star that can kind of buddy up with a couple guys but that being said, it's like nothing about Hangman is really dark order. He's got his own music. He's got his own gimmick. He, you know, comes out on his own. But then it's like, oh, no, he's fighting four guys. Well, don't worry. He's actually got some friends with him. And that's that's kind of where I think uh, the Cassidy thing could work out fairly well, that you've got the built-in six-man match, but then he can be more of a solo. I think that's fair. I think, too, he fits very nicely from a booking perspective, similar to what how they've used Darby, where – when in doubt, just kind of chuck him in there, have him be the guy who runs the ring to assist somebody or have him be the one who just appears to challenge somebody because there's never, there doesn't need to be an explanation with certain figures. And, and he's also in that capacity. Um, bringing up the dark order. What are your thoughts now that, that we're starting to see the first round of like big, well, not big, but releases from AEW of you know for us you and i who both kind of watched pretty early on in it's it's you know growth period now that we're starting to see some of them these guys moving on to other factions what are your thoughts on that i guess it just had that sense of inevitability because i even kind of felt that way with the dark order like they they kind of comically like ballooned in an nwo sense and then it was like you then had the really difficult pivot where you know, Brody Lee passes on and you don't really want to have like the faction he was with just being like beating the shit out of people while his kids attached to it. So I, I think that was a tough one, but I, I do continue to feel like there's a certain like, I think we're going to run pretty quickly into like AEW hipsters. And I think there's going to be a lot of the like, you know, I liked them before they had all the, you know, Forbidden Door and all this. And, you know, oh, name name who was on the, the second pay-per-view card. I bet you can't. Like, that's that's kind of the direction I feel like we're heading because there is that thing where it was like, I, I liked the smaller roster with more people that you didn't know, but it also kind of just felt fresh. Well, now it's like, I think the cards are more stacked and everything because it is just like, and now we've got, you know, Wardlow in this match now a Blackpool match and now someone from Jericho's faction that it's like yeah you can't have seven guys in the dark order because it's like you know those they're not even getting a match a week so getting two of them a match and then having five around the ring doesn't make sense so yeah I think I think it was kind of the inevitability but it, it is a little bit of a bummer in the sense that I think there was kind of this like a place for some of the lesser known and like more you know unique sized and talent guys to go 
and now it's like, all right, back to the Indies. And I think now everyone's just got to kind of hope to do like a AEW version of the Drew McIntyre, where it's like you're going to go back to the Indies. Hopefully, you know, you build up, you win some PWG stuff and some other small promotions so they can kind of repackage you and be like, oh, do you remember, you know, Alan V. Angels? He's back now and better than ever. Because otherwise, yeah, I just feel like the card's going to keep kind of having some of these uh, these big names. Yeah, no, I, I think you're you're once again right on there because that that is kind of the AEW hipster things like so apt because that's what I'm starting to feel like already personally <laughs> of just this kind of sense of like, oh, this isn't the way it used to be. I remember back when it was a bunch of indie darling guys, even though I don't follow that, but. It's so true. I mean, part of what made the Dark Order what it was was because it was just a bunch of indie darlings that they paired up with Brody, who was one of the actual WWE guys, like somebody who had made it to the big show. And and as they were growing, they tried to attach him to it and kind of ride that those coattails. And and uh, yeah, so now seeing it where it is, where now it's actually the second largest wrestling organization, arguably in the world. Um yeah, it's that's the difference now. It's there's actual competition. And I guess to their credit, you know, because they market these guys so much as individuals, particularly with their online personas and whatnot, it does give them the opportunity to do exactly what you're talking about, which is go off, continue to build you up your own brand and come back and not need to be a part of a faction necessarily. Um, if you're going to continue to grow or on the other side, like maybe, you know, you ride your time in AEW and become a headliner for some of these smaller orcs. So um, it, it's unfortunate because I will say the AEW hipster part of me definitely misses being able to turn it on just every night. It's a completely different person that I've never heard of in ring action and actually getting to experience them, not in a dark match where it's usually just like for a practice squash, like, but to actually see like a true full on match a lot of time with somebody like Kenny Omega kind of directing it or whatever. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. We're here where we're at, and it's still a great product, so I'm not complaining too much. Um, so another big one coming off, just this follows blood and guts, but I do need to get your opinion. Wardlow, his sudden push, I had voiced concerns originally about how he was going to be booked coming off the MJF feud. But he seems to continue to grow in popularity. You think this is a legit push, or do you think that this is just they've been riding kind of what MJF built up for him, and we're just kind of seeing them being able to do whatever they want because there's still that lingering doubt there. You know, I, I think it's it's been a fascinating run with him, and I, I think they're doing the right thing because he was probably never going to get as hot as he was coming off the MJF feud. I mean, that thing had worked for so long and MJF had just, you know, gotten such nuclear heat, but I guess I'm really intrigued now because with him taking the belt off Scorpio, that TNT title, um, it's kind of been a workhorse belt, which is where I'm really interested to see how they're going to use it with him because it's like, you can't do squash matches, but at the same time, that's what he does. Or is this going to be where kind of it, I, I wonder if they try to go like the Roman Reigns route. Cause I remember there was kind of a knock on Reigns for 
way unfortunately too long and i guess to a certain degree even cena where there's kind of this like they're just big guys they've got you know the five moves of doom or you know reigns had also kind of a few like signature moves that's all they do and then kind of over time people don't realize how much better they get so i wonder if this is just their hope is that they can give him a workhorse belt and let him get some matches in let him work with some good guys and then kind of grow in the ring right in front of us because yeah i i I do wonder what do you do with someone like that, you know, or do you just start running into some big old Haas matches? You know, does it just become Wardlow and powerhouse Hobbs, Keith Lee, Miro? Like, you know, you do have a roster of guys that could kind of give him the chance. And then, you know, Oh no, now he's fighting Darby or something. So he's got to do the small, how does he keep up with them thing? So I'm, I'm intrigued by it, but I think, yeah, you, you had to do something with him because if he had just kept beating up security guards, which was, like, almost horrible, but then kind of awesome when it was, like, I, I, I thought the 20 versus 1 was just going to be him, like, clearing the ring, but the fact that they actually had him beat all the guys, so he'd, like, pin four of them at once, and it's, like, only 16 more to go. It's, it seemed like a cheesy part of, like, a video game or something, but... I think overall, I think they're doing what's best and, you know, they'll see how long they can run it with him. And if they take the belt off him because he cools down, so be it. But I think it's better to ride him while he's hot. Yeah, I love that 20 on one when you were talking about them pinning. Not only is he pinning guys with that, their shoulders not down, but stacking them up on one another. It reminded me a lot of, I don't know if you remember when Goldberg, when they did his second streak, after they finally gave him the loss to Kevin Nash and then realized that nobody gave a shit about Goldberg if he wasn't undefeated. So then they had to build up a second streak. And the way they did it was by constantly having members of all the various NWO factions run into the ring and him just picking them up, jackhammering them, and then pinning them, even though it wasn't a legit match. And they would just count it out real quick and then be like, he's up to 55. Then another guy runs and he pins him. Wow, he's up to 56. So just rapidly escalating. But, um, you know, I, I think you may be on to something with that idea of turning into a Haas belt. I, I think that may be the solution to having so many of these big guys that are seemingly invincible in, in their stature that at the very least have them just smash into each other because it certainly works, um, particularly because we haven't seen that in AEW really other than a few select matches. And I think one thing I'll do his credit is the more airtime he's gotten, his comfort level is, is soared and it, it shows. Like he he actually conducts himself very well now like body language wise versus you know in the past where our first exposure was that awful promo he cut where the first time they put a microphone in his face and it was like watching a you know somebody audition to try to play like you know of the most stereotypical marvel supervillain you could imagine and then of course he's in a stable with mjf so yeah he's not gonna look like a damn fool doing that no, that I, I still come back to that, and I feel like that's going to be the equivalent of like some. I don't know who it'll be. It could be like MJF if they reheat the feud in like four years, where they're going to be like, "Oh, big guy, come a long way. Remember this one," and then just throwing it on the screen because yeah, I, I still come back to that where it's like, they said that was it, which means it's perfect, right? Oh yeah, it was like he was reading off cue cards. But no, I think I I completely agree because I still think one of the the best things I saw him do, and it's it's a while back, was when he got the lashes, 
and the way he was kind of taking them and he was like kind of smirking a little bit and he was like really hamming it up to the crowd and it, it, those were the kind of things like those facials and reading the way the audience is those he's come a long way with that so yeah i think i think giving him this run with the belt and then whenever it comes off him i mean i think he's a guy that they're kind of intrigued to see how far they can run with him so yeah and on the other side of that what does this do for scorpio sky and american top team and and the men of the year uh i mean it seems like the easiest booking is just have those two feud over whatever reason that you can establish coming off this loss but um what are your thoughts on the current state of those guys at the moment I think I think it's the same continued issue that they're they're so talented that this does feel like it's I, I won't say a waste because I think Sky getting the belt you know anytime you put a belt on someone that good especially I think coming back to what we were saying some guys that were early on with the company you know these are these are guys that I feel like were a revelation to me and it was fun getting to watch them so yeah I guess being at a loss um, I, I think you may be right in the sense that it's like maybe a feud is for the best just because it would guarantee some great matches. Like, you know, it, it keeps them out of too much on dark and gives them a storyline because yeah, I feel like, I feel like that one's kind of run its course. And as much as I, I love Dan Lambert in the sense that he's just really good at what he does. He's got that, like, we talk about it with a few people, but it's where I'm just like, Oh, just shut the fuck up. And it's like, Oh, he got me. He got me. That's what I was supposed to say. So yeah, I think I think moving them along and freshening them up. I mean, who knows? Maybe you know you get Sky and Frankie back together at some point and let them do the the tag team thing again. But yeah, I I think it's about run its course. Yeah, I, I I'm so over top team, especially like when they bring out any MMA guys. The only one that I want to see is is Paige in the future, but I, I think they're wisely kind of keeping her in training uh before really unleashing her as a regular talent um aside from that though like you're right dan lambert's amazing at what he does but the thing is like we didn't need that with the men of the year like they already were pretty good at it on their own so pairing them up just seems redundant um men of the year I, i actually a part of me would like to see them maybe go to like ring of honor for a little while just to remind everyone how awesome they are in more regular action and, you know, beating up on some folks that maybe not are on the talent level we're accustomed to seeing. It's such a shame because like they absolutely deserve it, but FTR like just control so much of that tag division in, in all, all divisions, essentially, you know, ring of honor and AEW. And then there's so many other talented fact you know tag teams out there that i don't necessarily know that if they could dive back into that um but if they were to i think maybe possibly doing the rounds like in ring of honor might be the path for them so with that though we mentioned page another former mma cast off the problem what are your thoughts on her status thus far with now she's paired up with Nyla Rose. I, her name escapes me. The the gal from Moldova, uh, Marina, Maria Schiffer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think it's once again a question of just like, because I really felt like you were right in when you said that with Paige they were taking their time because 
Um, I know you don't keep up with it as much as I do, but Ronda kind of came back, got a belt, and she she lost it this last Sunday at Money in the Bank to uh, Liv Morgan, who won the Money in the Bank ladder match, came, cashed in, immediate turn. But Ronda just, like, she has been bombing. Like, I think there was kind of the initial thing, and just like when she was in MMA, um, once she kind of got that first knockout, she lost the mystique. And same that, you know, with the wrestling, it's like you can only look tough and have the reputation of being this, you know, super tough fighter for so long, because then you actually have to get in the ring and one, you need to be able to perform. But two, once people start beating you, you know, it's lost it. you don't have any character work. So yeah, I'm a little unsure on that. I mean, I I guess I would say it's probably better that with her, um, they're taking their time and doing the tag thing. Cause I think that's where you don't want to do the whole like, Oh, and she's got the, you know, that right cross that'll take you down or, you know, the arm bar, you know, something that's supposed to be unbeatable. Cause I think it's kind of like the, an equivalent to being like a giant where once you get beat once or twice, the, the rubs off. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a little unsure as to how they're going to use her. I mean, I think having her paired with Nyla, they have, you know, Tony uh, storm and Thunder Rosa with thunderstorm being an all time great, like thrown together tag team name. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I'm just curious because it's like the the women's division I think continues to be in kind of this weird flux. So I think adding someone like that, that in because I think uh, AEW still kind of struggles with some of the character work. I think you know all the best we're seeing are the people that have both sides of it because sometimes just being technical or intimidating isn't enough. So I I, I guess yeah, I'm I'm with you in that. I don't think they really have a huge plan for her, but it wouldn't be the worst thing to just kind of have her lower on the card and work in some matches because I think given how good the top of that card uh, in the women's division is, you can't try to just put someone up there based on the fact that they had a strong resume. Yeah, and, and particularly because unlike Ronda, who came in with, you know, everybody knowing who she was and honestly you can say that with Paige and I I never heard of Marina Schiffer until I saw her appear on AEW promo um I she looks very raw like there were some really embarrassing moments in that that previous match I believe it was Rampage where Nyla Rose uh went off against Tony Storm and there were a few times where she would take impact or whatever and it looked like she was like pre it, it looks like somebody pretending to be wobbled versus, you know, a person who's actually talented at professional wrestling who actually absorbs the blow and or, you know, sells it in a way where it's like, oh, damn, they might be hurt. Like this looked like somebody who's play fighting, um, which is unfortunate because I, I actually do think like the initial introduction was was pretty cool. And, you know, it, you do kind of need in this era, like you always kind of need a former MMA person in any level of wrestling just because there's there's a number of them available and out there but um yeah it's just kind of lost especially when the talent disparity is so so severe when you have other characters i mean the fact that you can't even you have one of your top you know arguably top five talents and ty conti who's essentially just reduced to being a valet right now and they're still having trouble booking people like Ruby Soho and even um, Statlander. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Shafir, I just keep seeing on TV and I, I'm kind of surprised because I just don't see the talent backing it up just yet. 
no, I think I think that's a good point. Um, so what other recent developments have been standing out to you? Are there anyone that's getting kind of pushed or storylines that you're excited to see develop? I, I keep bringing them up, but the really the weird Swerve and Keith Lee thing, I still can't figure out for the life of me, especially because Swerve, at least at the most recent Dynamite, got no pop when he came out. And then everyone exploded when Keith Lee did. And I know that like they have that kind of like thing or the feud over like oh well you know he threw him out of the ring blah blah but it's like it was really really drastic so i i still can't figure that one out i love keith leo immensely and and swerve i think brings a unique talent um i don't necessarily know how well it's going over so uh what do you think about that one yeah i think that's kind of one of the cases of you've got two talented guys that you put together and now it seems like they're kind of trying to manufacture something, but it also feels, it feels heavy handed for them. You know, I think we've always kind of appreciated the way that they'll really take their time building a lot of this stuff. And, you know, you think they're going to do the, you know, let's be honest, it was the WWE model. We got a pay-per-view this month. So, you know, first raw of the week, there's a miscommunication. Second raw of the week, there's the shoving match or of the month, third one, they finally come to blows, fourth one, they build up the pay-per-view, fifth, boom, we're going. So with this one, it kind of feels more like that, where it's like, oh, here's why they're unhappy with each other. So I think once again, I, I feel confident about how good the matches could be if they actually feud, but it seems like they either need to pull the trigger or really back away from it, because I, I think they're in a bit of a will they, won't they, but they haven't given us a strong reason for it. But yeah, I think I also think given, like we've said, how talented and deep the tag division is, it doesn't make sense to have two guys as just a quasi random pairing, even if they've had a you know couple couple months now of being a tag team partners. Like you're not going to see them up there with. FTR and you know the Bucks and I'm just trying to think you know who else is in there I mean the acclaimed uh, we'll get to because I love talking about the acclaimed but you know they're in there and it's just such a deep division that I think with those guys you'd be better off letting them have their own storyline so yeah I think I think they need to make some great use of Keith Lee because you're right I mean he continues to be such a such a unique presence on the screen whenever you see him yeah, for certain. So yeah, you, we mentioned you mentioned the acclaim. Let's get into the acclaim now. That they have Billy Gunn in tow. What do you think the future for this one is going to be outside the inevitable feud with the Gun Club? Well, okay, so uh, I got to go with a lot of things on this because one, um, the acclaimed. I think it's pr- well, the Gun Club one. I think they've kind of they're proving that they are kind of a de facto great heel group like a lower level boss. I mean, they've almost, they're like Bebop and Rocksteady. Like, let's be honest. And I love the fact that they put them together because the acclaimed can just get anyone over now. Like Caster's raps are, they're like two or three steps above any John Cena thing because they're actually pretty clever. He's got a good delivery. Bowens continues. The fact that he just got a, you know, yelling a city's name is always pretty good, but he's really good at it. And the scissor me daddy ass, once again, is the kind of thing that it's like, 
those things have fallen flat many times. And I think this is a great opportunity for them to turn face because they've pretty much technically been heels. But I think when people, you know, people love getting to be a part of the show, you know, it, it has also that kind of new day vibe to it where it's like, they got great merch. The crowd loves to sing along. You got to turn these guys' face. So I, I think it's been really fun. Um, I think it's going to be good, too, that, you know, I, I mentioned them as a tag team, but I think it's a good way to give them TV time, give them a storyline, you know, let them go at it with the gun club and not try to slingshot them too quickly into the main card. Because, you know, I think with that top tier of the tag teams being so good, if you want someone to get into the mix, you got to kind of feel like they, they cut their teeth and earn their way up there. So, no, I, I continue to really, really enjoy those guys. Um, I was looking because, there, you know, there was finally a, kind of a, a split on a, a Dynamite this week. And I, I saw some of the social media and it was so funny because they're like, I never thought I'd be emotional about like, Billy Gunn turning down scissoring Anthony Bowens and it was just like everything about it was amazing but it was like yeah these guys have really created a connection so and I think this is where we come back to this whole hipster AEW thing because it's like okay yeah Billy's kind of like a, a known quantity and everything but he's he's being used as the old guy you know it may be that he's the old guy who also happens to be like the third biggest guy on the roster still but he's the old guy. And then, yeah, the acclaimed have been around for quite a while and it's, it's really been enjoyable. So that's, yeah, I, I am also just glad to see it in the sense that I've, I feel like I've been riding with those guys for a while now. And I'm, I'm glad to see that they're still getting the push as other groups are kind of fading away. Yeah. I, I think it's perfect too, because in so many ways, like what, how are you describing them parallels the new age outlaws and their prime to a T. I mean, that was it so much i mean caster's a much more talented wrestler than the road dog ever was but, thank you but just the fact that like you have one figure who was like so charismatic on the mic and could just like you know nail it every single time and the other guy who maybe not so much but was perfect at just the yelling part that like you said gets the crowd engagement involved and people ate it up like that there was a reason they were out every single night back in the heyday of wwe was because you know people love to see that shit you know we ha we always have to remember and the thing that it, it gets harder and harder to realize if you try to watch any of the weekly wwe stuff but it, it's the appreciation that AEW realizes that this is a show a live show every single time and that you have to make it worth people's while to come out and see it and that's the thing that kills me with WWE, not to get too much on tangent on them, but just that the weekly show now has been reduced to just hype for the pay-per-view. And there's not a lot of incentive to watch it. Maybe to see it live, it's cool for the cheap heat and just the crowd experience. But but part of that crowd experience is just popping for like the ridiculous shit like this. And, uh, you know, at least AEW offers that for that. And I love really how the gun club as well for guys who haven't been wrestling that long, I think that like they actually do some amazing character work. Like, like the whole, just like 
being like not living up to the potential of your father thing is just played out so well with them, especially because like you described them perfectly as bebop and rock steady. Like they're just the perpetual underachievers and just dipshits <laughs> and they play that so well. So I, I actually love how much they've embraced it. I really, really liked um, what was the match right before they had kind of the split with the acclaimed when, uh, neither of them refused to touch the mic because they were so like annoyed with the ass boys chant. So I, I, I'm very pleased with these. And these are the lowest, like lower tier tag division, just because it's so stacked. And that's even with removing, you know, jungle express or whatever the hell they call themselves. So, or Jurassic okay. express. There we go. Yeah. Which I wanted to get into that for sure, because I, I think that we both, uh, you know, big fans, Jungle Jack Perry, but man, it is good to see Christian being Christian again, because I mean, even when he was like the mentor, good guy, he just wasn't doing very much. So, I mean, what, what are your stances on him just being such a just crazy dickhead? I mean, he's one of the few people who can pull it off. I mean, it, I would say it's him and CM Punk. And with CM Punk, like there's a certain level of venom to where like if he's if he's going that way, like you'd probably take it serious versus when Christian Cage does it. He just plays that smarmy character so well that I think nobody can really be upset about it. Like I even I, I saw a quote online, even Marco Stunt was like slightly annoyed that they mentioned he was mentioned, but like at the same time totally understood why <laughs> because it, it's just yeah he's he's saying some horrible shit that everybody's aware is out there but you know he's just willing has the guts to go out in front of a live crowd and do it um the turtlenecks are a nice touch for the character work as well there's something about a smarmy guy in a turtleneck in the middle of summer uh berating people on like some of their sadder moments in life um and god the disparity of him standing in front of big bunny matt is is that's a tough one i don't know if that feud's gonna go anywhere i gotta be honest yeah i also gotta say it was it was kind of one of those things that there was a part of me that was like man they really rushed the luchasaurus turning heel thing but then i was like well the guy's kind of a quasi fucking dinosaur so i don't think we really needed to think that it would take much from master manipulator christian cage but I do think that's also just, once again, a, a fun use of, you know, just, okay, they shotgun the storyline a little bit, but now we get it because, you know, I think, I think you're going to have some great, you know, big guy, little guy potential with uh, Jungle Jack and Luchasaurus. And for a long time, I've always felt like Luchasaurus was kind of, you know, I guess you write this in, he was kind of the guy that didn't get that much love, despite the fact that he was like this mo monster of a man doing a standing moonsault like why isn't anyone talking about this so i think uh once again it's a pretty good way to keep uh you know two talented wrestlers and a supremely talented guy on the mic busy and doing something on the card that's going to get interest and yeah it's, it's going to be interesting to see the way i i need to start predicting when someone comes out like what horrible real life thing christian's going to bring up and it's like oh here comes big money matt oh, fuck, they're going to go on the Jeff Hardy thing. Like, this is going to be unfortunate. But I think, uh, yeah, I think it's fun to see uh, Christian back to doing that. And you're right. And the turtleneck, I also feel like, is definitely him just showing up in it. Like, no one's like, hey, Christian, you should do this. He just kind of walks in. It's like, what are you wearing? It's like, 
oh, people are going to hate this. Just trust me. And then just walking out and it's like, yep, he knew it. Yeah, I think the Luchasaurus um, heel turn is great too because I, for a while there, the Murder Hawk kind of held it, but every wrestling division or company should always have a cane like figure that you can just have bring out and just be a powerhouse and just like really like punish people out of nowhere. And they hadn't had that. And I think which it's perfect. Like he's just darken the mask, make his mouth black. Like he's intimidating as all hell. I mean, as long as you don't have him coming out to freaking Baltimore. So um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's great. And, you know, ultimately like you alluded to, I mean, the, the real winner in all of this is going to be jungle boy. Like this is only going to continue to build his brand. I think that in that sense, I'm glad Christian Cage is doing what he's good because I think the end goal for Tony Khan is is to continue to build up Jungle Boy into inevitably becoming one of the the true pillars of the company forever. And um, to, in order to do that, he he can't stay in that tag team forever because it's just too easy um, because they're too fun, you know. Like you may as well split them up now while you can get a little, you know, feud get going with the two of them. And then inevitably in a few years, you can get them back together and have another run. Anything else popping out to you? Um, the only other things I could think of were blood and guts. Any other additional thoughts on the actual match? Yeah, I'll, I'll go with a couple. Um, I, and th this was a fun one, but I did love when you had the Hager Cesaro that the crowd did the We the People, which I just love when you know WWE gimmicks get brought up because it is, and I think they're pretty good about it that you know they don't overtly call out any you know WWE AEW crossover stuff, but they also don't shy away from it that much. Um, and I, I continue to think that the name for blood and guts is just so bad. Like I, I enjoy the match flow. I think it's always hilarious the way that, you know, it's like one team gets the advantage and then it's just instant huge swing. And then the odds get even. And once again, like just once I'd like to see a team just like go down a man. And it's just like, Oh, well, since everyone was incapacitated already, this one guy just ran into a buzzsaw, but no, I, I, I love the Jericho appreciation society. Um, continuing with just the ridiculous outfits like it, it's another case of jericho i think just really being such a master of understanding the crowd and you know if they're gonna hate his group he's going to dress them like idiots but still let them compete and be good um i, I think the one thing that i'm a little intrigued by that came from blood and guts is that they're they're getting into i still this is still one of my favorite clips ever the, the real life friendship with uh ruby soho and then bringing it in. So once again, I guess it'd be great if we had Conti and Soho in the mix because there's two talented women that could actually be working together. Because I'll never forget one time when Eddie was trying to fight someone and Ruby kept running and like angling off. And it being the classic like, no, send the girl to stop the drunk guy because he's not going to try to muscle through her. It's like you and me <laughs> run to try to stop the drunk guy and we're just going to get tackled to the ground and he's going to get up in charge. But she's the one that just, you know, stands and looks at him and reasons and talks him down so i think that was a that was a fun that was a fun little note that they kind of are at least finding a way to bring bring her into the mix but yeah and i i a thousand percent agree like eddie being mad at the end and like the way that he really had the look and like wouldn't put his hand up just like pouting 
Um, no, it was fun. I think I think they continue to do a good job um, using it sparingly because I think this is always the fear. I mean, probably the greatest example of it gone wrong is the WWE Hell in a Cell is now a pay-per-view. So it's just like, oh, well, this feud's got to end in the cell now. And it's like, this used to be like the biggest thing and it happened once every three years. So I think I think doing it sparingly is good. Uh, Sammy's bump was fairly cool. I think they did a good job uh, getting away from the infamous one I think of when Jericho got tossed off uh, the cage the one time and it was just like the cardboard diamond plate and you could <laughs> see the boxes. So Yeah, no, they, they covered it up well this time. Um, you know, I, I'm glad you, you brought some shine to Jake Hager there because he actually uh, cut a pretty mean promo against Cesaro in the um, very much more in line of the We the People Jack Swagger. So um, it, it's been kind of nice to see him get a brief moment, especially with reuniting with an old foe. Um, yeah, and I agree that I'm glad they use it sparingly because it's the only way to make a match like that really like tolerable. The other wrinkle I think is hilarious is the fact that they have the two rings and it creates just such like a logistical nightmare for everything before that. Like the fact that they made that like random tournament <laughs> to face John Moxley or whatever um, prior where it was like red versus blue versus like, yeah, like the, was, the rampage rumble. Yeah. It was just clearly, they're just like, how do we like, give an excuse to have two rings because it's only relevant for this one stupid match so um you know they definitely it, it doesn't didn't utilize it nearly as much as it did the first time around i can't blame because i think sammy just stole the show that first time and just pushed the envelope a bit too far but um you know it, it's still a good time and the other thing i have to acknowledge again is that the fact that santiana went down with a major injury immediately. And I believe they were already a person down to begin with. So they had to kind of find a way to make it intriguing on the fly and, and they pulled it off. So. No, the one, the one thing on the note of the two rings was uh, the rampage uh, tag match with the bucks, Nick Jackson. I, I know we talked about it and it, it may have to be an episode, the, the sneaky athletic or the dad bod hall of fame, because he was doing some stuff on those ring ropes that it's just like, you give that guy that much to springboard off of and having the balls to do that in front of a live audience. It's, it's something else. So I'll, I'll, I wanted to tip my cap for that. Cause they did the, like the double springboard melter driver. And he had a couple other moves like that, where it's just like, man, you could give a lot of people a hundred attempts at that and they're botching the first step, let alone the third. So effortless with that guy. It, like you're absolutely right. Sneaky athletic, that one. Cause <laughs> you look at him and there's like, there's no way that guy's the best high flyer on your, your promotion, but he is, he is. And then some. Yeah. Uh, the only other one I wanted to bring up, what are your thoughts on PAC with this new international title? What do you think that's going to lead to? Um, I mean, I think it's fine so long as AEW just sticks with its own belts because they're adding more. So just stop defending some of the belts that I don't know with wrestlers I don't know. I I hate to say it, but you know, as you're, you've got this ever-growing roster, I saw a promo that you know uh, John Gresham, the 
uh, not the the law fiction writer, but the Ring of Honor champion, apparently. He's got a match on Rampage coming up, and it's just like, you know, I'd much rather you just have your own belts. And yeah, I think I think uh, Pack is a great a great guy to carry one. I think you know you got another opportunity. I wouldn't be shocked if you saw kind of a, especially if we're right about Wardlow kind of doing a little bit of the the Haas and occasional you know small man thing. Maybe this is a little bit more of a cruiserweight esque belt. Um, with you know I think the big joke was when 205 live was a WWE thing. The fact that he was in that event, despite being, yes, I get that he's small, but he's also, you know, that guy has some of the broadest shoulders I've ever seen period. Um, so I think it could be a fun belt for kind of, once again, a, another option for a different kind of workhorse belt. I mean, when you look at who was in that match, um, the fact that you've got Alistair black, who, you know, is a supremely talented guy. I think you can just get that extra, layer of storylines especially the way that i think that they kind of are willing to interweave their belts amongst shows this could be a good one that if you just don't want to have a tnt you know uh match or tbs match you just throw that on there so i think a really talented worker and just another chance to put some stakes and storylines together so i i think it'll be good i also think that yeah he's a guy i'd love to watch wrestle just because you know we're talking about how high flyers but his that like black arrow finisher is one of those ones where it's just like i don't see how you can get that many twists and contortions just from a little spring off a ring rope yeah i i think it's it was great in a number of levels i think that it's awesome that he gets a to hold a belt again uh for being a guy who's been with the company for so long um you know essentially from the very beginning um i think that it's great in kind of what I was talking about earlier with Yuta, that I, the one knock on Pack is that he t- has a tendency to like to go home a lot and I believe wrestle overseas. So I think the idea is that this is a belt he can take with him when he goes that continues to promote AEW product and make it a big deal when he's doing smaller shows over, you know, across the pond. Um, it was a cool little wrinkle. I mean, I miss the old European championship days of WWE just because that title was always like the European championship. What the fuck? But um, in this case, it's actually cool. It's like a true international one. You actually had a lot of legitimate talent, like, you know, when representing various different corners of the earth. So um, in this case, I, I think just think it's awesome. And I, I think you're right. There's potential that not call it a true cruiserweight belt, but it probably will be for or at least you know a period of time. Anything else crossing your mind there, Danimal? Forbidden Door, Blood and Guts? No, I think I think we're pretty caught up. Uh, I'm excited to just kind of see what they do now. There's a little time off. I I, I think I always kind of like when a pay per view ends because I think that it gives them that little bit of like carte blanche. Because while it's not you know WWE, obviously those upcoming weeks you are really building and hyping the card so it's kind of like you know that you got to get this guy in to work it but this is where you know you get to see a little bit more of i think where you know the talent gets to do their own thing and you know you get the acclaimed and gun club storyline because it's like hey people are hot for this and you know we just got to show wrestling shows for the next couple months so yeah i think i'm intrigued to see what goes on uh i guess the last one that i'm intrigued with is you know what's what's going on with mjf because he's off the air 
is it a work? Is it a shoot? Are they just letting him, you know, stay off so that when he does come back, he's got, you know, crazy heat since he did, you know, disappear for a little while after the Wardlow loss. So I think, I think that's kind of the, the ongoing question mark that I haven't really seen anything in the rumors. So I, I'm just excited to see if he does come back at some point. Cause I think that'll be a, that'll be a crazy pop. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, I, I think for Wardlow's sake, I think it's awesome that actually that they have had him away just because it, it prevents that from becoming another potential thing. Like now, it, I think that's actually what's allowed Wardlow to have the room to develop is no longer having this presence that just so easily puts him immediately back into being like, yeah, that's great. You're big, you're powerful, but you're nowhere near as, as popular as this guy here. Um, so may, I'm hoping that that was the intention. I certainly hope it's not, you know, the, the contract talks spilling over into reality, but who knows with professional wrestling, you can never tell. Yeah. So no, I think, I think that's it. Continuing uh, to enjoy it and yeah, just, we'll see where it takes us. And uh, as always, anything involving FTR, just got to love it. Oh yeah. Uh, they can carry, they can do no wrong carrying every belt. Seven star FTR is the greatest thing like this year for wrestling all by default, it doesn't matter what comes as far as I'm concerned that I will always pop for them. All right. Well, with that all being said, thank you so much again to Animal. This has been Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. 